All right, good morning. Good to see you uh, here. So thankful that you could worship with us today. Thanks to all of you that are uh, gathering with us online. Really grateful that you've chosen to be here with us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 this morning, Luke chapter 15, 1 to 7. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open it. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. We're going to be in Luke 15, 1 to 7. Let me just reiterate, uh, tonight we have an ordination of 14 deacons, two elders, and uh, one of our pastors, uh, uh, Patrick Lyle. And uh, I don't know if what you think about when you hear the word ordination, but this is a really important moment in the life of our church, and it signifies God raising up uh, men to be servants and leaders in the context of the body. And uh, we want to celebrate that tonight and also commission them for that particular ministry. So I hope that you can, uh, you can make it. We have been, over the last four weeks, in a series called War in the Wilderness. And we've talked a lot about what it means to sort of live in this uh, metaphor for life called the wilderness uh, between two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of what I would call Shalom, the New Jerusalem at the end of the book of Revelation. We said that everything in between, according to the Bible, is wilderness. It's desert place. It's, it's hard. And we go through kind of normal times in life, and we go through times in life where we couldn't survive if it weren't for a few people around us. And we go through times in life where we need uh, miracles from God. And we learned that God is uh, giving us desert pictures to describe himself to us. He's living water, and he's shade, and he's our refuge and good shepherd and the way and all those pictures to say I'm everything that you need in the in the context of this wilderness called life. But as believers in Christ, we aren't the only ones that are walking in this this wilderness warfare. Uh, every person on the planet is living in it, whether they know Jesus or not. And you may have heard people before going through something very difficult, and, they, and I, I have, at least among believers, heard people say things like, I don't know how I would make it through if it weren't for my relationship with Jesus. And it makes me think about all the people who are, who are going through who have no relationship with Jesus. And this is kind of an addendum to the series. Uh, next week, we're going to start the book of James, but today, I just want to talk about, I want to, I titled the sermon, For the Love of One, For the Love of One, and I, I want us to hear what Jesus has to say in Luke 15, uh, 1 to 7. So if you would, stand with us as we read God's word together. Um, if you're a guest, we say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them, Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, 
there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Give you seated. So again, imagine facing this, this wilderness that we live in and the warfare that we're up against without Jesus in your life. And I, I just want to make this personal. I could give, it a, I give you a bunch of statistics about global lostness in the world and how many people and how many people groups around the world do not yet uh, have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I want to do is bring it to your doorstep and to your domain this morning. I want you to think about as we lean into this, people in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family life who do not know Christ, do not walk with Christ. Maybe they've heard his name, maybe they know some stories, but they have no confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, They are doing this wilderness thing um, apart from him. So let me just make some observations from this passage of scripture that I think are important for us to understand. The first is that um, at the beginning of this passage of scripture, we get some clarity about the ministry and person of Jesus. And so I don't, I, I, this always is stunning to me. Uh, and I think it's stunning to religious people. And I think it was stunning to the religious people of, of the day because We like to set Jesus up on this pedestal that is holy and pure and rather uh, untouchable in ways as religious people. But it tells us in verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. So one of the observations that's very clear in the time that Jesus was walking the planet is that sinful people people of the sinning type, far from God, liked to be around Jesus. And we have evidence of it all through the, the, the scriptures. They, they were drawing near here. Tax collectors and sinners. Now, some of you may think like, why is a tax collector uh, a sinner? We have any tax collectors in the room? Any IRS? I know there's one or two. Um, <clears throat> So it doesn't really translate well in our day, but when you think about a tax collector, I want you to think about someone of Jewish heritage that's working for the Roman occupation to collect taxes from Jewish people for the peace of Rome, uh, the Pax Romana, give to Caesar what is Caesar, so to speak. Uh, They're often doing it to make uh, money. Um, they, They have maybe some kinds of shady business deals and all kinds of things. So often we get tax collectors and sinners. The and sinners part is everybody else, right? Everybody else that's not Torah observant, observing these 613 commands. Uh, they, they are, when you think of that category, sinners, uh, think of all the big sins you can think of that are outward that everybody can see, and th- th- that's in that category. These are the people that are known sinners that are hanging out with Jesus. And it tells us that they drew near to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So there was some kind of woo that Jesus had, some kind of magnetism that he had for sinners, with sinners. Now, here's the, the good news. That's, that's why we're all sitting here, actually, because the scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
So guess what? If, if you're not now, you were a tax collector and sinner. You were in that, that camp. And they were drawing near to him in this passage. So people of the sinning type, far from God, like we once were, or maybe like you are currently, they liked to be around Jesus. I asked myself the question, why? Why did they like to be around him? Was he entertaining? Uh, did he have, you know, I, I, why? I think it's because he forgave sins. I think at the bottom line, the reason they hang out with Jesus is he forgives sins. There's a passage in Luke chapter 7 that is about uh, the, the title of it, at least in the ESV, this, this section is A Sinful Woman Forgiven. And it says in verse 36 of chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed him with ointment. This perturbed the Pharisee who had invited Jesus over. (laughs) What is this sinful woman doing in my house, and why is she wiping your feet with her hair? Well, we get the answer to that question in verse 48. After Jesus corrects the thinking of this Pharisee, he says in verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So why are sinners wanting to hang out with Jesus? Because he forgives sins. We just had baptism. We ask, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead? And everybody says yes. So the precursor to that belief is understanding that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness, and that Jesus is the only one that you can come to for forgiveness. He's the only one that can forgive sins. And so people of the sinning type, far from God, they liked to be around Jesus. And I think the reason for that is he has compassion on them and he forgives their sin. Secondarily, people of the religious type who felt they were near to God, did not like that Jesus spent a lot of time around sinners. And we see this over and over again in the Gospels. He's hanging out with sinners, tax collectors and sinners. How can you let that woman touch you? How can you talk to her? How can you hang out with them? You can't touch him, all those kinds of things, because they don't like that he's hanging out with sinners. Now, there's a backdrop to that. Religious people, religious Jews of that day, they don't want to come in contact with sinful people because that makes them unclean. And then they have to go ceremonial wash and make sacrifice and all these kinds of things. And so there is a separation between the religious Jew and the sinner of the city. And they keep the separation because they want to stay clean. Now here, you have a rabbi that is becoming famous in the moment as we're reading these con- this context 
who speaks with one like authority like they've never heard before, and he's bridging the gap between the Jewish religious type and the sinners, where the Jewish religious types are pulling back away from sinners. He's walking into the presence of sinners. See, They don't like it. They do not like this. They don't like that Jesus spends a lot of time with sinners. You can see that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Scribes are just the, the, the Torah teachers. They grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Eating with them in the, in, in the East is a big deal. Sitting at a table, sharing a table, lingering together. That's, you can't do that with sinners. That's unclean. And Jesus is doing it a lot in the context of the scripture. The religious people didn't love that. And then we see in verse 2 that also just a a clear understanding that Jesus cares deeply about sinners. He just cares deeply about them. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul said, there is therefore now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know that woman that we read about in Luke chapter 7? She was condemned by the religious people. She was condemned by the Pharisees already, and Jesus Jesus received her and forgave her sins, and he's living out in that moment. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is probably, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's probably the best news you've heard in your life, that there, you, you, you know you struggle with sin. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, not at the end of your life, not at the judgment. You're going to proceed into the place that God has prepared for you because of Jesus, because of his shed blood on the cross. There is no condemnation. People of the sinning type liked to be around Jesus. Religious people didn't like that Jesus liked to be around sinning people, and he had compassion on them. And it still plays today. It still plays today in the same way. Now, second thing we see in verses 3 through 7. So the observations about the ministry and person of Jesus are clear. In verse 3 through 7, we see that Jesus pursues the lost, what I'm going to call one. The lost one. Now, take a look at this passage Jesus hears their grumbling, and he answers their grumbling with with a story, with a parable. So he tells them this parable. They all understand shepherding. It's shepherding country, so they get it. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Who wouldn't do that? So he looks at the Pharisees and the scribes and says, like, look, we're shepherds here. You have 100 sheep. One of them gets lost. Won't you leave those 99 and go find that one in the open country? That in Greek is a ramos tapos. Do you know what that is? That open country is a desolate place. It's the wilderness. Won't you leave the 99 and go get the one in the wilderness? Won't you find them? Won't you do that? Of course you would. Anybody with half a heart would do that. That's what he's appealing to he goes on to say, and, and when he is founded, when you find your sheep, you'll, you'll put him on your shoulders and you'll be rejoicing because you found that one that was lost. And when you come home, you'll call together all your friends 
and your neighbors, and you'll say to them, rejoice for me, with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Like, who wouldn't do that, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and to these Torah teachers. You know the scripture. He appeals to their heart. And then he says this, this is an interesting statement. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Now, understanding who he's talking to, understanding the context, he is saying to them, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one who repents than over 99 who don't think they need to. So let's talk about that for just a moment. What makes heaven rejoice? Well, we, I see two things in the scriptures that make heaven rejoice. One, one is uh, Christ himself. I mean, you can see pictures in the scripture of all of heaven gathered, rejoicing, worshiping Jesus himself. The second thing, when one lost soul repents. When one lost soul repents. And Jesus just tells the story, like, who, who wouldn't leave the 99 for the one? Who wouldn't do that? Jesus pursues the lost one. Like, his whole ministry was pursuing that lost one. And this one, when they come to him, <clears throat> it makes heaven, all of heaven, Rejoice. I've thought about that from time to time. You know, Marshall said his son uh, re received Christ in the parking lot at, at, uh, at Texas Roadhouse. That's awesome for one thing. But the second thing is, I was thinking that moment his son received Christ, there was rejoicing in heaven. When your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, your family member that you love, that you've been sharing Christ with, when they, when they become part of the congregation of heaven, when they, they, they change from being the one that was lost to one that has been found and they've confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, there is rejoicing in heaven. There's an example in Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32. It's about... Um, Matthew or Levi. <clears throat> it says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. This would become one of his disciples sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me and, and leave everything. And he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house because he's a tax collector. He's got a good house. He's got a lot of money. He makes great feasts. And there was a large company of tax collectors and, all, and others reclining at the table. Matthew invited his friends, all the other tax collectors. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, same problem. You're always hanging out with sinners. And Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, the, the adage is the same. The teaching is the same. Like, Jesus' gospel message is for 
sinners, not people who think they, know, they, they don't sin. They don't need to repent, but for sinners, people that are, are far from God, that are lost, <clears throat> he offers this. So Jesus is always pursuing the lost one. We see this uh, over and over again. And this brings all of this to us as we're walking through this wilderness called life. The mission and the mandate of disciples of Jesus is a passion. It requires a passion for the one, the the one that's lost, a passion to leave the 99 for the one. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says this of Jesus, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We talked for the last few weeks a lot about, like, what was the enemy about? To steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That one, he's there for the one. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, after his resurrection, after his crucifixion, before he left and filled the disciples with his Holy Spirit, gave them this, this, he gave them this, this gospel mandate to take, take the good news to, to the world. He said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I mean, famous last words. What's the most important thing I can do before I ascend to heaven? Put my disciples on mission for the one, the people groups that don't know me, the people that don't know me. You've got to go to the uttermost parts of the earth with this gospel message. And that now, that mission, that mandate as we live life in this wilderness amidst this warfare is in the hands of every follower of Jesus. We are the ones that carry the message to the one. Which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 to go find the one that was lost? And when you found him or her, Put him or her on your shoulders and bring him or her back to the fold. And when you get back, call all your friends and neighbors together and say, look, the one that was lost was, is found. Who doesn't, who with half a heart wouldn't roll that way? I often think we forget what we've been forgiven from, especially as we uh, tarry in our relationship with Christ. We forget that we have been redeemed, like bought back, saved, set free, forgiven of our sins. We've forgotten what it's like to not be forgiven of our sins. And, and, and this, in fact, makes our passion, our zeal, our, our, our understanding of our mandate for, for the one, it, it makes us apathetic in that way. Now, what should we do? We know we have a mandate. We know we have a mission. We see how Jesus rolled. We see uh, people that were far from God were drawn to him. We see that he forgave sins. We see that religious people kind of hated all that about him. It got him crucified eventually. In the, in the greatest act of irony, 
he died for the one. So what should we do? And this would be maybe the most important thing you, you can get your head around today. We need to develop a love for the ones in our life. My circle of friends, influence, family, whatever is different than yours. I mean, the beauty of, of Jesus' strategy to, to take the gospel to the earth, to all the people groups of the earth through the generations is, is that he does it person by person. And we are all called, not, not just the pastors, not just the missionaries, but we are all called to develop a love for the ones in our lives. And you have them. You have those people that aren't in the 99. They're in the one. So what should we do? Let me just give you some really practical steps. First, you should name your one. Name your one. Think about the people that live in your streets, on your street. Think about the domain that you work in every day. Who sits in the cubicle next to you? Who do you interface with all the time that they're far from God? They, they're in the wilderness and they don't even recognize it. Who, who do you sit next to in meetings that they have no idea what it means to be free and forgiven of sin? What about your family? Who has God placed in your family that may be a one, that may be far from him? We need to name the one. And here's the deal. You may have more than one, one. You probably will. But you name your one, even if there's more than one, one. Second thing you do, practically, Pray for your one by name. Pray for your one by name. Somebody was praying for you before you came to Christ. You might can name that person. You may know who was praying for you, but somebody was praying for you before you came to Christ, before you recognized your need before your eyes were open, before you had an understanding, someone was praying for you. You need to pray diligently and earnestly for your one because there's power in prayer. This is aligning your heart with the spirit and the work he's already doing in that one's life. Pray for your one. Here's the third practical thing that you need to do. Genuinely love your one. People are not projects. Repeat this after me. People are not projects. Genuinely love your one. Love them even if they reject Christ. Love them if they never come to Christ, but genuinely love your one. Why? Because Jesus genuinely loves all people. So I have friends in my life, I think on, in, 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 in human terms, it's probably impossible that he's going to come to Christ. 
Do I stop loving him because I think it's probably impossible? No, because he's not a project. He's a person. Genuinely love your one. No strings attached. If they never come to church with you, love them anyway. If they never want to have a gospel conversation with you, love them anyway. Pray for them anyway. People are not projects. I think that when we treat people like projects, we are not loving like Jesus loved. So people are not projects. Uh, Fifth thing, serve your one. Serve your one. Even if, uh, even if they, they never reciprocate. Part of loving someone is serving them. So what do they need help with? How can you lift them up? How can you come alongside them? How can you listen to them? Serve your one. How about this one? Invite your one. Invite your one. It might not be that you invite them to this room. That might not be your first invitation. Your first invitation might be, you want to grab lunch? Your first invitation might be, you want to come to our house for dinner? Your first invitation might be, you want to play, I don't know, we're into, got into pickleball this year. Anybody into pickleball? Like, you want to play pickleball? It might be anything. I don't know what it would be. But invite your one. Hopefully to invite to your small group, hopefully to invite to church, but most importantly, to invite to Jesus. But hear me say this, before you invite someone to Bay Area Church, invite them to Jesus. We'll help you when you, come, when you bring someone here, but if you can invite someone to your table and share in the context of real relationship because you genuinely love them and care about them, and you can invite them to Jesus before you ever invite them to church, you're living like Jesus. You will invite them to church, but invite them to Jesus. Does, does, does your one need to know Pastor Brian? Ultimately, no. Your one needs to know Jesus. Invite them to Jesus. So invite, invite your one. Here's another one. Share your story with your one. Share your story with your one. I told you my story five weeks ago, part of our story. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a beautiful story. It's kind of difficult. But do you know people relate to difficulty? They relate to honesty and transparency. They relate to a God who can actually step into that mess. They hope whether they realize it or not, they hope for a God that can actually step into that mess. And so share your story with one. Again, back to the American thing where we're all fine, which everybody knows is not right. Be different. Be transparent with your one. Share your story. It's probably going to open up opportunity for them to share what they're going through. Probably going to op- open up opportunity to, sh- to share what, what I would say is net, next, share the gospel with your one. Share the gospel with your one. The good news that Jesus Christ came to forgive sinners. Right? So you might see all kinds of problems with that. I, I ask you to name your one to begin with, and then as I'm going down the list, you're like, I got to invite him to my table. I got to 
share my story. I don't feel very comfortable with that. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work. Let me, just, let me just obliterate the excuses for just a moment. If you don't know what to say, a lot of people say that. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. Here, here's what you say. In the context of real relationship, you're really loving, you're really developing friendship, here's what you say. Uh, start like this. Hey, how can I pray for you? I'm a praying person. How can I pray for you? You just pray for them. And then one day you say, hey, can I tell you something that changed my life forever? Most people don't say no to that question. And you don't have to be long-winded. You don't have to spend 15 minutes or 20 minutes. You can say, I realized that I was making a mess of my life, and I couldn't get out of it. (laughs) Kept doing the same things over and over again. And someone told me about Jesus, who died on a cross to forgive me from my sins. And I know sin is not a great, I I say this a lot of time with people that are in the one category. I know we don't talk about sin very much. I know it sounds like a really churchy word, but it it really is not a churchy word. It's just a condition. Like we're all doing stuff that is not right. And everybody knows that intuitively. I couldn't save myself, and so I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I really believe that he died on a cross to save me from my sins. I really believe that he rose again from the dead. How do you really believe that? How do you know that? His word. Have you ever studied his word? Want to go through John together? Just my house in the backyard on the driveway after pickleball, at coffee, after work, and wherever. Not in here. Just invite them. Share those basic things. Jesus came to forgive sinners, of which I'm the biggest, you know? And so you simply just share in in a very simple way. I I don't know what to say. You do know what to say. You're just afraid to say it. You know what to say. Maybe you're like this, like, I'm an introvert. Introverts don't do that. Well, you know, a little secret. I'm an introvert in an extrovert world. (laughs) Um, you can share the gospel as an introvert. In fact, it, it may be more well-received than the typical extrovert. Ah! <laughs> no offense to extroverts. <clears throat> it's just what it feels like to introverts sometimes. It might not be accurate. And half the church... Alienated. Uh, There's too much bad in my life. Like, I've done too much stuff to be sharing something like that with somebody, and maybe they even know about it. That's even better. That's even better. Because if they know you once were, if they know that you struggle and you've gone to Jesus, maybe they, they can too. That's even better. Don't use that as an excuse. I'm too busy. Here's the thing. Um, Our work is tertiary and only the environment, we may think our work is the main thing, but it's only the environment God has placed us in to do this gospel thing. 
whatever you do for work, wherever it is, whatever you do, you're not too busy. You're right in the middle of it, right where he placed you. So develop a love for the ones in your life. Now, let me just end like this. Maybe you are the one. Maybe you realize in this, in this moment, like, hey, this dude's been building a relationship with me. He invited me, he shared. I've been at his table. He invited me to church. Here I sit. Maybe I'm the one. Maybe you are the one. The good news is, if you are the one, that Jesus has been pursuing you by, by his Holy Spirit, and it's way bigger than that person that might have invited you here. He's chasing you because he loves you. Because he always hangs out with sinners. Every one of us that know him knows we were sinners. We are sinners. We still struggle with sin. And yet he constantly pursues us. And if you're the one, that I would just say, here's the unchanging good news, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He did die on a cross. He lived a sinless life. He's the only one that could die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He died on a cross. He laid in a, in a borrowed tomb. He was raised on the third day. People saw him. It's recorded in antiquity in such a way that there's so much evidence that it's, it's, it's baffling that people argue against it with the amount of evidence that there is in antiquity. And he ascended to heaven, and he invites everyone to come and receive him because he's coming back again. Coming back in. So if you're the one, you're here today, just be glad. Just thank God. And what you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says, you will be saved. And that's Jesus finding the one and putting you on his shoulders and bringing it back to the neighborhood, these people right here, and calling everybody together and saying, did you see how the one that was lost is now found? You know, if that's you, that's the one, be you're the one, be glad. Maybe you're, the, maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one that needs to hear this believer. And you need to consider yourself sent to the people of your domain each and every day. You're the sent ones. You're the ones who are the ambassadors for Christ. You are the ones doing the work of the gospel each and every day. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 15 says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Why would your feet be beautiful if you preach the good news? Because you carry the message of the sovereign king of the universe with your feet. Your two feet go everywhere that I can't go. You carry this gospel message. Maybe you as a believer need to like reconnect with this idea that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the world, all the people groups. And you just need to simply carry that message with you into your domain, into your neighborhood, into your family life. 
not because you're working projects, but because you love people like Jesus loves people. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and simply ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in these few moments? Lord, you have uh, placed us in this region on purpose in this season, and you've given us, uh, by design, unique places of influence in our family life, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. You've placed us beside people every day who are the one walking in this wilderness like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, what we know of you is that you're constantly pursuing that one. And so would you just use our hands and our feet and our mouths and our mind and our heart every day to love people like you love people. Give us a one awareness. Tomorrow, As we go into our different domains, God, would you give us an awareness of the one, like open our eyes to it, make us very aware, and give us a heart, give us a heart to invite, to share, to serve, to love. Father, I pray for uh, people, even that are hearing this teaching today, that may be far from you, God, I pray that by your spirit, as they've heard the gospel, you would woo them to confession and faith that they might be saved. So, Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for involving us in your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.